Well, before I jump into our text this morning, I just wanted to say thank you. Ruth and I have been gone. Some of you are like, um, we miss you. The rest are like, I didn't even know you were gone. We've been gone for 30 days. And uh, I know, like one-twelfth of the year we're gone. Some of you are like, really? And that's okay. That's a good church, right? Lots of, lots of people doing God's work. It's... Uh, it's the body of Christ doing some amazing things. And we just want to say thank you. We spent 10 of those days in the Holy Land with 40 plus other New Heights people. It was pure joy. I'm sure Jim said something last week about that. And then we spent uh, most of the rest of the time with um, our workers in the Middle East. And it was amazing to get to see them do some really hard kingdom stuff for the glory of God. And as Kevin said, um, your money matters because it goes to things like that. It really, really matters. Um, I'll share one funny story. It was funny to me at least. I was in four different, Ruth and I were in four different countries, didn't have a language problem. Then we spent the last three days in Ireland. I didn't understand a word they were saying for three days. I would have whole conversations and I'd just go, yeah, I had no idea. Sorry if you're from Ireland, but um, I need subtitles when I'm talking to you, right? Well, in every major recognized country there is an American embassy. An American embassy is really a little bit of America a, a long way from home. It's where the laws of America rule. All emb embassies are sovereign territories. They do not belong to the country they're in. They belong to the country they're from. Thus, if you get in trouble in another country, you want to try and cross the embassy gate because the moment you cross the embassy gate, the laws of America kick in, not the laws of the country in which the embassy is located. God has an embassy in history. It's called the church. Thus, and I want you to see this behind me. The church is God's embassy to bring the values of the homeland into foreign territory. Let me say that again. The church is God's embassy to bring the values of the homeland into foreign territory. This world is called foreign territory. The Bible says over and over and over again that this world is not our home, but God has set up shop in this world and he has done, through, done it through the, an entity he calls the church. Thus we can say... And again, I want you to see this. The church is not to represent the country it's in, but it's to represent the country it's from. That's right. So the whole point of the church is to represent heaven in history. You know the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as we get our marching orders from heaven. So God orchestrates from heaven through the church how he wants to be present in the foreign land of a culture. So this morning through the eyes of the psalmist, I want to encourage us to think highly of the church. Let me give us an overview of where we're going and then we'll unpack it this morning. I wanna make sure that we don't lose sight of what the church is really all about <clears throat> and how it brings people together. Also, I want us to pray for the church and I want us to be intentional about seeking the good of the church. 
Do me a favor, if you haven't already, please open your Bibles and Bible devices to the Old Testament book of Psalm 122 as we continue our mini-series in the book of Psalms, the book of songs, the book of worship. A little background of our text before we dive in. Psalms 120 to 134 are known as the 15 Psalms of Ascent that are songs written for the children of Israel. They were most likely used by God's people as they traveled to Jerusalem three times a year for Passover, first fruits, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These are pilgrim songs. They would sing as they ascended to Jerusalem, as they went to the heights, as they sought to seek God in the temple. They would sing these songs in anticipation of going into the house of God. These are pilgrim songs that are now meant to help us make our way home as we go through the ups and downs of living in a broken world. Now there's a progression in these Psalms. I won't go through all of them. Let's just look at the first three. In Psalm 120, we start in a foreign land far from home. It's not natural. It doesn't feel right. We long, we yearn for something more. In Psalm 121, we are on our way and we need God's protective care. And then we come to Psalm 122. We arrive in Jerusalem. And as we do, the psalmist is very excited Look at what he says, Psalm 122 and verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Do you feel his excitement? The psalmist recounts the whole pilgrimage experience from start to finish. So let me ask you, is that how you felt this morning? When you got up to go to the house of the Lord? And when you arrived here this morning, did you step out of your vehicle, out of your vehicle and say, I'm rejoicing because my feet are standing in the parking lot of New Heights Church. I made it. I'm here. I can't believe it. I've come to the house of God to worship God with God's people. Before you answer that, let me just say, I know it's not always easy to get excited about worshiping God or being part of the church. On some Sundays, the park looks like a better option or the river, or your favorite brunch place, or your living room with waffles and coffee. Church is an effort. Please hear this. It is hard, and it's far from normal. One of the biggest crosses I had to bear as a 17-year-old who came to know Jesus in Southern California is I had to give up half my Sunday. You ever been in Southern California? It's good. It's beautiful. It's amazing (laughs) all the time, especially on Sunday. It was like, you kidding me? We had Sunday school, we had Sunday church, we had lunch after church, we had Sunday night. It was like, whoa, this is my day, God. What are you doing with my day? Church is an effort. So why bother going at all? Why bother making it a priority in your week, every week? Great question. This psalm helps us answer that question. It helps shape our hearts for what God intends. First to note, we obviously don't live in Jerusalem. And even if we arrived there today, we wouldn't be able to go to the temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD and no longer exists. I mean, literally, like two weeks ago, Ruth and I were just at the temple wall. That's all that's left. That's it. It's not even the temple. Don't get excited. It's the temple wall, right? It's just the outside of where the temple would have been. It's gone. But the temple represents something bigger. The temple is a recovery of Eden. It's the place where we get to dwell with God together. 
The temple isn't just a place to attend. It's a little piece of the Garden of Eden in our broken world. It's where God, it's where God's space and our space overlap. A place where heaven and earth meet. It's the most important place on the earth, a place where God has chosen to live with his people. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, Lee, how, how does this work if the temple no longer exists? Well, the Bible says that it actually still does exist. John chapter 2, when Jesus came, he said he was the temple. Ephesians says that we've become part of the temple too. Remember, we just studied this in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit if you know and love Jesus Christ you are the temple of the living God God has come to reside in you each one of us in this room who know and love Jesus God has come to reside in you and we reside together in him Christians together are the temple of God collectively. As we gather, we meet with God. Our gatherings are part of a new Eden where God meets his people in worship and fellowship in the midst of this broken world. Do me a favor. Please write this down. What the pilgrims hope to see, we have in Christ right now, who has done everything necessary to save us and is present with us. Jesus didn't just come to die to forgive our sins. He came to create a new community. You're a part of that new community. We're a part of this new community together, and this new community is where God has chosen to live in this world. It's a bit of Eden in our broken world. So here's what I want to do as we look at this psalm. I want to look at two reasons why church matters, and then two practical actions that we can take. First reason why church matters, it matters because um, it's about making us more like Jesus. It's about making us more like Jesus. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you've heard this before. I don't go to church anymore because they're all hypocrites. Anyone hear that? Oh, wow. Wow. By the way, I'd be the first to agree the church is made up of people who aren't perfect. Newsflash, that's me, and it's you too. We're not perfect, and we can be hypocrites. But still, every time I hear comments like that it makes me sad because I, I i know the incredible value of doing life together with the body of christ are, are you ready for this satan sometimes satan uses people in circumstances circumstances sometimes to disappoint christians to pull them away from the very people that god would use to bless and encourage them let me say that again satan uses people and circumstances to disappoint christians to pull them away from the very people that god would use to bless and encourage them but for some of you let's just be real honest here especially after a pandemic after COVID after societal unrest after being locked away right after watching church on TV which by the way it's great we get it there's times to do it but for some of you you don't have issues with anyone at church and you're not upset with the church you're just really busy doing other things good things attending your kids soccer games Baseball games, going on family getaways, biking on the Razorback Trail and fixing stuff around the house. These are all good things. But if they regularly take us away from church attendance, we would do well to realize that we're choosing the captivity of activity over what God says is more important. 
Let me, if I need to say that again, I will say that again. <laughs> if we're regularly doing these quote unquote good things over what God has called us to do, we would do well to realize that we're choosing the captivity of activity over what God says is more important. Let me emphasize that going to church isn't about gaining God's favor um, for the week because you've assembled together with his people. Church isn't a place to go. Rather, it's a living body where God wants us to become a, a part so we can be more like Jesus. Now, there are many reasons why we go to church, but let me just pull out six this morning. Six that I want to focus on. The first reason we go to church is to hear the preaching of the word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword. Thus, hearing the preaching of scripture is vital to our own spiritual well-being. Here's what happens when we sit under the preaching of the word. Number one, uh, it penetrates our hearts and transforms our lives. I want you to see this. When we sit underneath the preaching of the word, it penetrates our hearts and it transforms our lives. Number two, it calls sinners to repentance. Number three, it encourages the discouraged. And number four, it inspires the Lord's servants to love and serve Christ and love each other. When facing certain death, the Apostle Paul re revealed the importance of preaching with this final instruction to Timothy. I want, you to, I want you to soak in how important it is to preach the Word of God and to sit under preaching. He says this, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Does that sound familiar at all? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Second reason we go to church is because iron sharpens iron. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Meeting regularly with other believers is a source of encouragement and strength. But know this, when iron rubs against iron, not only does it become sharp, sharper, but, but what happens? It also causes sparks. So when we live in community with other Christians, sometimes, you know what happens? We get burned. You need to know that. Sometimes we get burned. Sometimes we hurt each other. If you're in a family, there's no such thing as a perfect family. You might come from a great family, an amazing family. Many of you in this room do. I know your backgrounds. But the reality is that if you're in a family with people, you're going to rub each other wrong at times. Sometimes God uses our interactions with others to show us the areas that need fixing. God often uses, if we let him, other believers to get us to repent of certain sins in our lives. If you stopped attending church because people hurt you or didn't measure up to your expectations or people are hypocritical, know that the enemy has you right where he wants you. Satan's tactics is to divide and conquer. If he can pull you from the flock, you're vulnerable to his attacks. Please hear this, and I want you to see this. This is so important. Satan will use our, our lack of love for God's people to quench our love for God. Satan will use our lack of love for God's people to quench our love for God. Third reason we go to church is to exercise our spiritual gifts. From preaching to encouraging, hospitality to administration, God equips his children with gifts to serve Christ in his body. When a church body is healthy, its, its members realize they are part of the, of the congregation not only to receive, but also to be a blessing. 
God hasn't given us spiritual gifts for nothing, but God has supernaturally gifted us so that we can glorify himself through us as we serve Christ as his body. Fourth reason we go to church. This is really important. To find godly mentors. In the church, you will discover people who are further along in their walk than you. Their wisdom, insights, and vulnerability can help us become more like Jesus. When Ruth and I were first married, uh, we became members at Bethel Baptist Church in Wilmington, Delaware. That was 1989. There was a couple in that church that was 10 years older than us named Jay and Joanne Foggy. He worked for DuPont and she worked for another chemical company called Hercules. They led um, the college ministry at our church as volunteers. Every time we saw them at church, they were beaming. Jay was six foot seven. He was massive. He had the, he had the, the, the length in, uh, of a condor. I mean, just the width and length of a condor, just the wingspan. And anytime he would see you in church, he'd say, at least to me, he'd say, my brother, it's so good to see you. And he'd just envelop you with a big, massive hug. Joanne had this massive smile on her face as if to say, I'm so glad to be standing in, the, standing in the household of God. They had such a passion for God's house and the kingdom of God that we just wanted to be around them. Now, um, this may surprise some of you. Others may not surprise at all. But I was a terrible husband early on in our marriage. I had no idea how to be a husband. My mom and dad were divorced when I was seven. Um, my dad was a terrible, terrible husband. My, my mom wasn't a great wife. She'd be the first to tell you that. And uh, so when I got married, I was, um, I was working without a safety net. So I watched how Jay treated Joanne, and I learned, and I asked questions. And sometimes Jay would lovingly rebuke me. Other times, more often than not, he would take the word of God and, and encourage me to love Ruth like Christ loved the church. One day we asked them if we could be on their college ministry team, and they said yes. And Ruth and I learned how to do ministry watching them. If Jay were to walk up right now and begin to share from God's word, you'd go, wow, he sounds and he acts a lot like Lee. Nope, I sound and I act a lot like Jay. And let me just say this, not only is the church the place to find amazing mentors, it's also the place God wants to use you to mentor somebody else. On our Holy Land trip, I had the privilege of hanging out with um, one of our members' dads, Kathleen Hood's dad, Pat McGahee. He's the good-looking guy on the right. Pat told me that he had retired from flying airplanes 19 years ago. He said, and I quote, I made sure I wrote this down, he said, I retired at 58 years of age to be um, a gentleman's rancher. I said to myself that I would hunt and I would take it easy for the rest of my life. He goes, I was 58 years old and I had worked hard for over 30 years, but God had other plans for me. He said, Lee, for the last 19 years, I've been mentoring young college age men and it's been the most fruitful season of my life. And to think, and to think, I could have wasted it just spending time on me and my hobbies. So who has God put on your heart? Who's God put on your heart? Who's that person you see and you're like, I, I probably need to ask them. I, I probably need to go up to them. At the very least, I need to pray about asking them. Maybe just to have a cup of coffee, go out for lunch. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I, I, I can't do this. Yes, you can. 
especially if you're older, right? God's not going to waste those years. There are so many younger people right now who are just dying for someone to invest in them. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be Billy Graham or Jim Hall or Lee Epstein or, or you name it. You don't have to, all you got to do is be willing to say, hey, let's open the word of God. We can read it. We can talk about it. We can pray. Do you have any questions about life? That's it. It can get more in depth if you want. It can become less in depth if you want. Who has God called you to mentor? Fifth reason we go to church is to teach our kids to love the church. All the data is in. If parents go to church on a regular basis, their children will have a better chance of coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And in turn, they will go to church on a regular basis as well. Our kids, not always, I'm not naive, not always, but often will value what we value. If you want to teach, if we want to teach our kids to love God, they need to see that we love God. Now get this, and if we want them to learn to love God's people, they have to observe us loving God's people. Be careful with your words. Be careful with your actions. Be careful with how you talk about people who are made in God's image. You say, man, we just like to keep it real. Your kids aren't ready for you to keep it real. They're kids. There's some discussions you don't need to have in front of your kids. They're not ready for that. Their worldview isn't a place they can handle that. And quite frankly, a lot of things that, that we may be saying about other people don't need to be said, period. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we only need to say things that build up and edify the body of Christ. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 says the student will become like his teacher. Notice Jesus didn't say the student will become as the teacher teaches him to be. Rather, he will be like his teacher. You might want to write this down. Our children and grandchildren will learn more about faith from watching us live out our own faith journey than from us telling them about God. You're like, man, Lee, it's so much easier just to say rather than do. I know. I know. God designed designed it for us to say and do together, not in perfection. God knows we make mistakes. As you confess those mistakes to God, confess them to your kids or your grandkids and just say, hey, I blew it. They'll understand that. What they won't understand is the cover-up, right? It's the cover-up that throws them off. Just be honest. Last reason for going to church is pretty important. We bear each other's burdens. If you're going to impact somebody, you got to be around somebody. If you're going to love somebody, you got to be near them. you got to be in proximity. Galatians chapter 2, chapter 6 and verse 2 says that we're to bear each other's burdens. Thus, we will fulfill the law of Christ. Life can be hard. We need each other. In a moment, everything can change. Just when things are going great, right? You're like, man, life is great. Then you get that phone call. You get that diagnosis. Or a host of other things can leave us feeling afraid and alone. But to those who are part of a church family, we should never feel alone. When life is going great, we have the encouragement of others. And when life throws us a curve, we're blessed by those who love us and care for us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Man, my heart goes out to those who I've seen come to church only when life is hard. And then when their needs are met, they fall away again only to come back when there's another next disaster. It's this vicious cycle. It's like, man, God, life is hard. I'm going to go back to your house. I'm going to get the love of God's people. Oh, okay, everything's good. I'm out. Oh, life is hard. I'm back. I'm just, man, it makes me so sad when I think about that. 
if you're accustomed to only going to church when you have a need, why don't you, why don't you try going when everything is okay? Maybe God will use you to be the encouragement to others who are looking for help. This psalm reminds us the church is a very big deal. And please, don't take this for granted. We get to be a part of this. What an honor. It's not a chore. So I, I told you that Ruth and I and, and Nathan, um, we were able to spend about three, about two weeks, two and a half weeks with um, our global workers in, across the Middle East. And I can't, I can't give details because of security, but at one particular place that we went where church is not allowed, where uh, locals there can't go to church, they can't profess their faith, um, we, we met with them in private, right? Uh, literally on, on, on the top of a house and had church. They had to do it in secret. And as we met with these, these believers and we fellowshiped with them and we read God's word and we prayed, we began to have discussions. And the, there's a husband and wife and the husband said, he said, okay, now tell me, you guys are, are pastors. What does that look like? And Nathan and I began to describe, you know, what we do and who we are and how we shepherd and care for the body. Man, he was just like taking notes. He was just right. Really, really. And then he said, well, what does it look like for you to go to church? And we began to describe what you're experiencing right now, right? And then felt home groups, community groups, the freedom to express ourselves as the body of Christ anytime, anyplace, anywhere. He literally began to get emotional. He stopped and he paused. He was just full of energy and life. And he said, uh, that is my dream one day to do what you are doing. That's my dream to get to freely worship on a Sunday or a Monday or a Wednesday night or in a coffee shop. This psalm reminds us the church is a very big deal and that we get to be a part of this. What an honor. It's not a chore, it's, it's a privilege. It's one of the biggest privileges of our lives. Why does church matter? Because even in all of its imperfections, it's making us more like Jesus. But here's another reason why church matters. Church matters because it brings people together. And I mean all people. Verse 3 speaks of the beauty of the city of Jerusalem, which is integrated together with the temple, the house of the Lord. And the psalmist loved the city itself in the way that it provided protection for the people as they gathered. But the thing about Jerusalem is the way that it unified the nation and brought people together to praise God. That's why he says in verse three, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statue given to Israel. There stand, verse five, the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. What's really great about Jerusalem is that it's a place where tribes lay aside their tribal identities and take up the identity of being part of God's people, unifying around worship of God. And it's the same for the church. It's where God's people lay aside their tribal identities and pick up our identity as God's holy people. You want to hear something that's really wild? The church isn't only made up of sinners, but in many cases, it's made up, cases it's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels. 
common politics, common nationality, common languages, or common jobs. Christians come together because we have all been saved by Jesus Christ. That's who we have in common. We are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. So church is the place where God calls us to lay aside all of our tribal identities and prejudices and unite around Jesus. It's where everyone who trusts in Jesus belongs and, and, and where things like prejudice, division, and hostility have no place. We don't always measure up to this, but that's what God has called the church to be. And, that, and when that happens, it's amazing. So why does church matter? Church matters because it helps to make us more like Jesus and because it brings people together. In light of this, there are two actions we can take. Number one, pray for the church. Pray for the church. Psalm 122, verse six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you, those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. Verse eight, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be within you. The psalmist prays for peace and then personifies Jerusalem and speaks peace to it. As the psalmist called Jews to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I, I want to call us to pray for the peace of the church. Please pray for the universal church. Pray for New Heights to be what God has, has called it to be. Pray that we would stand firm. Pray that we would speak truth. Speak in love, but we would speak truth. Pray that we'd be a church that unifies and comes together as the body of Christ. Pray for unity in our body. Pray that the world sees our unity and, and sees how we love one another. This is Jesus' prayer. John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples in the upper room, rules for the road. He's basically telling these guys, I'm going to leave, I'm going to depart, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going I'm to rise again, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. And once I'm gone, this is what your life should look like. And this is what he prays, John chapter 17 and verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Pray for unity in God's body. Pray for, pray for unity. So pray for the church and then lastly seek the good of the church. Verse 9, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Play your role in helping the church to, to prosper and grow and to live up to what God has called it to be. Hey, you need, again, let me say this. If you're waiting for the church to be perfect, that will never happen short of eternity. That'll never happen. Hey, the church is an easy target, right? It's an easy target to judge. Why? Because it's full of sinners like you and me. Let me ask you this. Um, how many of you go to restaurants? Raise your hands. Go ahead. Just... How many of you have had a bad experience at a restaurant? You still go back to, how many still go back to restaurants after a bad experience? <laughs> I'm amazed that people are like, my youth pastor or so-and-so or someone said this to me at church or I got my feelings hurt because they judged me or it was legalistic 
or you know, evangelicals they all voted for, or you, you know, pick your whatever. I'm never going back. Well, do you do that with restaurants? You're like, no, no, man, I, I'm, I'm an adult. I make a decision to go, that was a bad experience. It doesn't mean that's every experience. Because I'm an adult. And adults use wisdom. And so as a child of God, who has the spirit of God that lives inside of you, if you had a bad experience at a church, I don't know. Give it grace. Follow the biblical, the biblical method, which is make it right with somebody. Or go seek... Matthew 18 says, if your brother sinned against you, go talk to him. If a pastor has upset you or hurt you or youth pastor messed up your kids or an elder did something wrong, Matthew 18, go talk to him. Try the best you can to reconcile, right? And then move on. Go forward. It's like you have that bad experience at Cheesecake Factory. You're like, I'm still going back because it's pretty good, right? That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Play your role in helping the church to prosper and to grow and to live up to what God has called it to be. Help out God's bride. Don't lose sight of what the church is and how it brings people together. Pray for the church. Seek the good of the church. This is what Psalm 122 teaches us. Okay, as we finish this morning, can I have the worship and prayer teams come on, come back up? Come on up. Before I pray, let me say this. I don't want to make light of this. I want to be careful. Um, I want to be serious about this, but I want us to deal with this as spirit-filled adults. Let me say that I know some of you have been hurt by the church, and I am sorry for that. Hey, by the way, um, if you cut me, I bleed, right? If you cut Jim, he bleeds. If Jim and I were to show you, if we were to allow you to hear conversations we've had with congregants over our 30 plus years in ministry, you would be appalled. If I were to let you to read letters or texts or emails, you'd go, oh my word, people have verbally abused Jim and I for 30 years. I mean, said things, did things to us, our families. You'd go, oh. But here's what I've realized over the years. This is really important. I need to remind myself that it wasn't Jesus who hurt me. Jesus is the lover of my soul. Jesus is a friend closer than, closer than a brother. The Bible says that Jesus can't take his eyes off of me. He calls me son. He calls me friend. It wasn't Jesus who hurt me. It was broken men and broken women who sinned against us. Remember this. I know it's so simple. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people try to break people. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Also remember this, how many times, how many times have you hurt somebody and yet God forgave you? We tend to overlook our faults 
but we, we gaze with intent on other people's faults. Be gracious. Be gracious. So maybe, maybe you're here and you need to come up and you need to pray with someone for healing. You're like, I, I just need to pray with somebody. Maybe you need to go to that next step and you're like, I, I think I need some counseling. We have the Joshua Center. We would love, I would love to refer you to that. Maybe you're like, I just need to talk to a pastor. I think you know this. If you don't know this, Jim and I and every one of our staff and our elders, we have an open door policy. We would love to talk to you about that. Don't let the enemy continue to speak lies to you and keep you from getting these things right. Maybe you're the one who's hurt somebody in the church and you need to come up and confess and then ask that person to forgive you. You need freedom. Now's the time. I'll tell you what the enemy wants. If you're mad at the church, he wants you to stay mad. He whispers things to you like, remember what they did to you? Remember how they hurt you? Remember how they're all hypocrites? He wants you to live in anger so he can, he can grow weeds of bitterness in your soul and not become who Jesus wants you to be. Father, thank you for Jesus who has made us a living temple. Not a perfect temple, but a living temple. Help, help us... Um, Help us not to lose our excitement for your house and that you've called us to be together and to grow together, becoming like Jesus together. That's your design, God. Unite us and help us to live up to this calling and help us to be faithful in praying for your church and seeking the good of your church. And Father, for those who've been hurt by the church, I pray for healing and a renewed purpose to re-engage with God's people in God's house, doing the things that matter for your kingdom. God, we don't want to be captivated by activity, but we want to be captivated by eternal purpose. Help us to be a people who bear fruit that lasts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.